Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I am your host, Chris, with uh, the most, Jamie. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I've got Red Bull coursing through my veins. It's nearly 11 o'clock at night. Perfect podcasting conditions, if you ask me. Just the way I like it. And hopefully that's the way our uh, viewers and listeners like it on all major podcasting platforms. <laughs> Talking about Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Or if you're watching on YouTube, because maybe you just like the look of our faces. And uh, that's okay too. No Alex Jones this week. Uh, gosh, you know, there was that incident with that squirrel. And uh, Okay, you know, I, I don't think it's really for me to Hang say. Hang on, sorry. Was he in Ukraine at the time of the squirrel incident? Or has he since left Ukraine? <sighs> Man, I don't know. It, it, it's a tough one. Like, we can't track him. He's gone. He's gone. Silent. He's gone. What's the word? Dark. He's gone dark. He's gone dark. Yeah. He's like, you know, he just heard the mortars and he was like full on survival mode. Boom. We're expecting him to be smuggled over the border any moment now. So hopefully he'll be back next week. I I think I like the idea that he's just in a tunnel somewhere or a bunker and he's going to, you know, come up in maybe three, four years and he won't know what would have happened. He's getting ready for fallout. He's going to be like fucking um, Robin Williams in Jumanji. What year is it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Except he's fashioned himself a primitive pit boy on his wrist because, again, he just wanted to be as fallout-like as possible. I can believe it. But then again, it's going to be more like Castaway where it's just the, it, just the blood mark on his hand. He goes, oh, hello, pit boy. Do you know, I could see Jonesy falling in love with a soccer ball or a volleyball or whatever kind of ball that was. It was a volleyball. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Would it still be Wilson? I think Wilson's just a good name. It's an iconic volleyball name. You can't really replace that now. I don't think you can. Maybe Dunlop, but hey, who knows? Mm. Uh, Welcome to an apparent gaming podcast where it it seems like we try our hardest to talk about everything except for gaming. Uh, With a little bit of, you know, sprinkle that gaming on there, Jamie. Mm. That's fine. You just drink your Red Bull while I'm trying to talk to you. Perfect time. I didn't know you were going to fucking throw to me. I can't well, read I saw, the future. I saw you reach for that Red Bull. I'm like, you know what? I haven't had a single sip since we started recording. I needed to, you know, wet my palate or whatever the expression is. Uh, People need... You what? You, 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 you heard me. with that mouth. I needed to lubricate, Chris. People need oh. the words to come out of my mouth. That's the they hear about games. Lubrication. I love it. Okay, well, we are here to talk about games. And like I said, we're on all the major podcasting platforms. We're on YouTube. But we're also, Jamie, on internet radio the future my friend is here today internet radio we are available on paisleyradio.com thursdays 10 p.m repeated monday 10 p.m so go check it out to be fair i haven't heard from paisley in a (laughs) fair while maybe we're not on there anymore we just found out we haven't been broadcast for like 18 (sighs) months it's like and we're like why didn't you tell us it's like well because you gave us a shower at the beginning of every single podcast why would we stop that (laughs) yeah fair enough Good argument. Good argument. Oh, goodness. Uh, but yeah, if you're listening to us on Paisley Radio, um, I believe you can send in questions which uh, eventually get collated and sent to us uh, a month or two later, and they are very still topical. It's like, what did you guys think of Marvel's Avengers? And like, well. Yeah, well. Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway, you know, that, Jamie, that would we, be a great question because of how little we've talked about that game over the past 18 months, I know. right? And it's, it's a bit tragic. Maybe maybe this is the podcast to talk about it, you know. I, I, finally broach that subject. Maybe. I'd rather have Jonesy here when we do, you know, 
finally discuss Marvel's Avengers. I feel like he's got some thoughts. I'm not sure he's got any mm. thoughts, but he might do. Perhaps. Maybe. Anyway, jokes aside, old games aside, we're here to talk about news, buddy. And, yes. And uh, fairly recent gaming, if not gaming in the future, because that's, hey, that's just how we roll, okay? Jamie, it, you know, coming off the back of Elden Ring, mm-hmm. it's inevitable that, uh, you know, it, it, it's almost like, what's the saying? Like, like there's a supernova, which is Elden Ring. Yes. And there's other shit, but it's not, it, it, it's not the fucking bright, fucking shiny thing in the sky. So while there has been a, a fair amount of news, nothing exceptionally major, except for one thing, which we will be covering today. Um, we're going to be talking about some Pokemon news. We are going to be talking about, um, funnily enough, some Marvel stuff. <laughs> um, and what else have I got here? Some Elden Ring stuff, obviously, because I'm going to give you my opinion on that. But before we jump into that, Jamie, how about we talk just a, a little tidbit, a, a, a teaser news item. How does that sound to you? Does that tickle your scrot? I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but it's in, it's in oh. the ballpark. <laughs> it is in the ballpark, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Go on, give it a tickle and get the feather out. Show the All people right, what you're working with. Out. Okay. So uh, recently the Steam Deck has been released to much fanfare. People seem to fucking love it. It's been getting good reviews. Uh, some kind of like controversy with like, oh no, it's got um, uh, fucking, what's it? Uh, joy Joystick drift. Yes, blah, blah, blah. which it kind of seems like it doesn't actually have, but it did yeah, have. Yeah, it seems like it's a little bit debunked, but even so, you know, <clears> there's, there's always a margin for error on these things. I guess the way that Valve created these things is like easily repairable, like yeah, specifically, sure. I remember they calling out like the Joy Cons. Hey, you can Joy Cons, the joysticks. Hey, you can replace these if you want. But anyway, that's I, I don't necessarily want to talk about the Steam Deck, okay? Even though it was pretty cool that Gabe himself, Lord Gaben, physically delivered some yes. of those units to a few lucky people and got some signatures. I'd love the the person that kind of opened the door, thinking like, who's this? Fucking granddad. Yeah, exactly. Like, how many people are there that are aware of Steam, are aware of Valve, wanted a Steam Deck, pre-ordered it, but game deal? No fucking clue. Just don't know. Who, just some old bloke with a beard who rocked on my front doorstep and signed my Steam Deck. Dude, I think you'd be surprised, you know? I mean, actually, you're right. I, I, I would... I would be no. I, I wouldn't be surprised. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm with yeah. you in that. I'm sure there are plenty of people. I don't know if you yeah. went to any of those houses, but yeah, that shit does happen almost certainly. It would be so funny. Can you? Because like, imagine you order. I don't know. Like, let's say when you ordered your PS5, and the courier came to your door, and he handed you the box, and he, and he's just, and he just hold on a second, and he opens it up, and he signs it for you. You'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Well, though that, that again. Like I, I'm, I'm sort of just about in touch enough with, you know, the kind of people at Sony who might be doing something like that. So if I opened my door on PS5 launch day and Mark Cerny was whispering sweet nothings, <laughs> I brought you your PS5. I'd be like, "What are you doing in fucking in East London, Mark Cerny or Jim Ryan?" Cerny, like, I, 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 yeah, I'd reckon it would be more Herman Hulst. Seems like oh yeah, Herman would be cool. Herman, yeah, I find physically intimidating though. It's just something about. And don't don't take the, don't use this as like an ego booster. I'm just going to say it the way I see it. 
uh, Dutch or German guys, and I actually I'm going to throw Austrian in there as well. And the other thing is South some South African dudes. I just had this archetype in my head of like a six foot four jacked dude who's like <laughs> forty or fifty, but still looks kind of like young. And they're Austrian or South African. I think I've met so many people like that for some reason. And Herman Holst, I'm not suggesting he's actually jacked. But he's got a deep Dutch voice, and he's like, the PlayStation 5 is very... I can't do a Dutch accent, but... <laughs> I like, love that. No, go on, do it. Well, with Horizon Zero Dawn, we're, I can't do it. It's a, it's a very hard accent okay, to do. Please, keep going. It's no, like, I've given you two snippets one. there that you can, can stitch together if you want that to be like two that's seconds the, of a Herman Holst impression, and that's as far that's, as it goes. That's all I need to get off, Jamie, so thank you for that. The party's um, over. Um, I think it's his jawline, man. It's like fucking pretty immense but I know, yeah. I know what you mean like i i know enough afrikaans people that uh they can be on the intimidating side if you know it's kind of like you know you, you pull the fucking jackpot thing and you know 777 comes up it's like yeah yeah there's a, a jack dutchman so there you go yep yep the two people that i have a, as a frame of reference one of them was a south african psychology teacher at my senior school who was also a rugby player and the other yep. one was a german american football player who i met in spain how those th- three things kind of came to be i don't know but yeah there you go it's a story for another day my friend yeah um okay but look back to the steam deck thing and Interesting enough, Valve released a new game, Jamie. They did. Kind of like almost out of the blue. They announced it like, what was it, like maybe a week ago? And then it came out yesterday? The day before? Uh, yeah, the day before. I think it might have been Tuesday, if I'm on not mistaken. First, right, yeah. Yeah. On the first. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, the new game, Aperture Desk Job. It's a, a, a 40. A 40. It's, a, it's a thought, Jamie. It's a thought, all right? Yes. Big time. Yes. A video game thought. A video game thought. It is a 30-minute short game set in the world of Portal. Specifically, you taking up a desk job at Aperture Labs. I I can't remember what it was. It was Aperture Labs, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Which was... uh, It's interesting, okay? I downloaded it, and I was fully prepared to play it. And then it kind of says, oh, you know, it's it's really made for the Steam Deck. And it's like, oh, okay, so what I can't play. It's like, no, you can. You can remap some keys or you could use a, a controller. And at the end, I just thought, ah, fuck it, I'll just watch a video, a, a playthrough on YouTube. Because that's what YouTube's for. And that's kind of how I've consumed a lot well, of media. Yeah, you're missing out a key ingredient, though, in how you consume your media on YouTube, which is basically you just admitted you wanted to watch this game at two times speed. Well, that's all this was, really. That's all it came down to. In a way, in a way, there's definitely kind of apathy and laziness. But, <laughs> hey, that's, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it, Jamie. That's you in a I, nutshell. I, I, this is me in a nutshell. All right, Moss and Powers. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it seems pretty cool. Like, the gameplay was pretty simplistic. I think you, really what you're there for is the story, the writing. As we know, Portal games can be really fucking funny. Yeah. Um. And after the launch of Aperture, Aperture Desk Job, there was a report saying that Valve are actually working on multiple game titles, stressing on the multiple. Yeah. Which we, we've heard that before. You know? Yeah. We've heard that before. The last time we heard it was Half-Life Alex. Half After Half-Life Alex, we were told, hey, we're working on multiple games. And it took a while, Jamie. Mm. And then they released another game, and it was a 30-minute short game. 
So, yeah, I, that's why I kind of feel like I have to take this announcement with a pinch of salt because, and maybe this is me being a little bit too pessimistic, but I feel like there's never been a time in history, certainly in recent history, where Valve have not been quote unquote working on multiple games. The real yeah. question is whether or not those games will see the light of day for one reason or yeah, another. If they if they finish them, exactly, yeah, <laughs> and and if they're actually of any interest to people when they finally come out. Um, but of course, yeah, there's also the optimistic side of things that I do partly want to take up, which is that, okay, a clearly very talented and able development team finally making new products. Because when they do put stuff out and they get their full weight behind it, like with the, was the case with Half-Life Alex, they make special yeah. products. Oh, dude, like you, you look at the quality of this Aperture, Aperture desk job as a free game, which you can download on, on Steam on PC, by the way, and you can try and play it. Like that's how I had it. I don't own a Steam Deck, unfortunately. Um, but you look at the kind of like the quality of the writing, the yeah. polish of the graphics and everything for a 30-minute free game. Like, it, it's astounding. Yeah. That 30-minute game is probably funnier than most games that claim to be comedic yeah. that, that you would have played in recent memory. It's, it's mad how good and on point that kind of portal humor is, you know, where oh, it's kind yeah. of like uh, one of those like portal cores talking to you, telling you to do shit. You are a silent protagonist. And it, I, it, it just something about it just fucking works. I still remember, I never played it myself, but when Valve released one of these sort of like packages of experiences and demos and sort of mini, you know, game shorts that they put together for their uh, various VR oh. releases over the years. Yeah, yeah. One of them was the a... Lab, was it called? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I can't yeah. remember if this was part of the lab or a separate thing, but it was essentially, it was like a an Angry Birds-style VR experience where you were pulling back a catapult and launching these spheres into huge crates and cardboard boxes and wooden boxes and knocking down as many of them as possible and getting a score. And all they did, kind of like what you were saying just then, is that they turned these spheres into, they called them personality spheres or something like that, and all it was was that every single sphere had a different personality core and would have a different voice and a different line and a different joke to say when you loaded them in and... They would speak to you for the five, ten seconds it took to line up a shot. And it was astounding like how many different personalities and ideas and jokes and how much humor they were able to cram into that. And they took, you know, an Angry Birds in VR style concept that still only probably would have held your attention for the 15, 20 minutes you played it for. And just yeah. it, it elevated everything. That Valve Touch just brings another layer to whatever they apply it to. Yeah. Which I guess and, and like, yeah, true same thing was true for with Half-Life Alex on a much wider scale right even though it wasn't readily available let's say to people because you obviously have to have a vr headset to play it but yeah the amount of polished love and care and that is like you said it's it's that valve kind of fingerprint on it saying like this is us and we do fucking cool exceptional stuff yeah it's for just sure. a shame that that stuff has been not mainstream let's say vr is not mainstream steam deck is not mainstream i mean they can't produce them fast enough so it's that's just how it is yeah um but yeah it's like and even even reports of like their main new half-life game that they're working on uh codenamed half-life citadel which is meant to be like hey you can play this in vr Mm. or you can play this on your steam deck or you can play it on pc and it's like asymmetrical gameplay so a person in vr will be, I think, get an overview of something and, like, move units around, like, RTS style. And then someone, like, let's say on the Steam Deck, would be a unit on the ground against the person in VR, whatever it is. Like, really cool concept. And you think to yourself, 
with their fingerprints, their muggy, you know, grubby mitts all over it. Like, it could be fucking cool. But again, it's like, just release a fucking mouse and keyboard game, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, I know. Like, I, I totally get the yearning for a traditional video game experience from Valve. Again, you just want to see them apply their expertise in something that fits that form factor. But, you know, they have hardware to promote and they have hardware to support. And, uh, you know, first it was VR headsets and, and now it's yeah. portable games consoles. Like, yeah, like they're putting a lot of money clearly into not just the R&D, but then also the manufacturing of these very bespoke, potentially quite niche or enthusiast items. And the more they yeah. can support that with their intellectual property, uh, the better off those items will probably end up being. So I get that. But hopefully, with the exception to making more headsets and more Steam decks in the future, they can now... I want to see, you know see some console love from Valve. How about that? Like, I know we're talking about mouse and keyboard experiences, you know, even on the 360 when we had to wait for the orange box where they were like, Do you know what? Yeah, let's collate everything together. And like, yeah, I'd love to see, uh, they don't have enough content that's been released since then to, to warrant an orange box too or something yeah. like that. But well, in the future, was, yeah. Was Portal 2 the last kind of like mass console release that they had? It may well so. have been. It may well have been. I still remember yeah. going to um, a now dead a video game retailer in the UK called GameStation and buying Portal 2 as like, like a full price box release off the shelf, as crazy as that is to think back on now. But yeah, um, I can't yeah. think of can't think of what else there was. Yeah. Well, we did speculate that uh, PSVR 2 could potentially have Half-Life Addicts. Yes. Release, right. So that would be really cool. Uh, but again, it's kind of like another barrier to entry. It's not a case of, like you said, going into... Totally. And now to find game station and saying, I want that one and pick it off the shelf. Or, you know, the digital equivalent of just going, logging on to Steam and saying, I want I want that one. Yeah, totally. We'll see. We'll see. It, it's so hard to know, but th- they've got so many cards that they hold so close to their chest and they've got so many IPs that are so close to people's hearts that they have that power. And I'm not going to bring this up <laughs> in such a way that suggests that they might exercise it, but they have that power to turn around and say, oh yeah, by the way, Portal 3 is real. It's coming to everything next year. And like in a heartbeat, the internet implodes. You know, they've oh, got that sway 100%. if they need to yeah, use and- it. And I think it's easier to bring out a Portal Three than it is to bring out a Half Life Three. Yes, like, yes. We, we didn't we didn't cover this, but about like a month or two ago, there was in the states there was a Geico ad. You know, Geico is like uh, I think it's like car insurance. Like yeah, that. and it uses a gecko as like a mascot, right? Yeah, and they they released, and, and again, like this was like a, a handful of weeks ago, they released an ad. Was it around the Super Bowl? Maybe. I don't remember. Um, and it was basically the gecko playing in Portal. Oh, weird. In like Interesting. A, a Portal thing. And um, Tyler McVicker, who's a very well-known kind of like uh, Valve. He was, he was the Valve News Network guy, right? Yeah, he's the Valve News Network guy. He's still yeah. the Valve News Network guy, except he's just changed his channel to uh, Tyler McVicker. Um, yeah. Time to get that clout, yeah, baby. Yeah, exactly. He does a lot of kind of like data mining, etc. And what he said about that, Geico ad was really interesting is they were using a portal map that was from like a beta of the original portal when it was first shown off that wasn't in the final game but oh. it was it was all like upraised and polished but then the voice of GLaDOS was completely wrong and blah 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 like he is a fucking Valve nerd like he, he'll know the differences mm. you know to us like normal guys like oh portal monkey see monkey <laughs> like you know yeah, yeah. um 
But you just got to think to yourself, like, why would Valve okay that? Like, clearly they had to say yes, right? Mm. Like, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. That's just how Gaben operates. You know, he's 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 the Godfather. Um, but you think to yourself, well, they've done that. They've brought back Aperture, all right. Mm. You know, is is this leading to something a bit bigger? Do you think? Do you genuinely think? That is Portal 3 time, baby. I'm not going to put my money where my mouth is to that extent. I'm not going to sit here today and say Portal 3 is coming. But I genuinely think that the discussions and the rhetoric around Valve making games again holds far more weight than it ever has before. And I know, yes, they have been sidetracked by hardware experiments. They've been sidetracked by creating bits of software to supplement and support that hardware. But Valve... And Gabe, I don't think they ever got out of the software game. I don't think they ever gave up oh. on the idea that at their core... The is too big. Exactly. They, But no, but I mean, when I say software game, I mean the game development side of things for them as a business. Um, I think that's always been something at the core of their plans going forward. It just hasn't been a priority up to that point. I, I can see multiple projects coming in the next couple of... If multiple projects came out in the next handful of years, I wouldn't be surprised. And I mean, again, yeah. I don't want to veer into uncomfortable territory for spoilers or anything like that, but Half-Life Alex is not an open and shut story. <laughs> like, um, Not by a long shot. Not by a long... It's the... Op- again, apologies for anyone sensitive to this stuff. Maybe skip forward like 10 seconds, but Half-Life Alex is the open... Is the opposite, excuse me, of an open and shut case. Like, Half-Life Alex has got... The, it is like it's just blasting the doors wide open, and there's no closing it. Exactly, yeah. Like they have to make more Half Life. You don't make more Half Life, Alex, unless you're making more Half Life in some way, shape, or form. That in and of itself is an indication of what their plans are. Yeah, it's interesting, man. It's so fucking interesting. Uh, maybe they'll get around to you know giving some love back to Team Fortress fans. <laughs> Team Fortress Three. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, do you know what Team Fortress was one of those things? Never particularly got into the game. Never really had a sense of, you know, the community or, or what they were interested in. All I know is that Team Fortress 2 is a shooter and people like it and it has hats. It has hats. That That's that's where it all fucking started, right? Like, that was the big mover of hats. Yeah. And now it's CSGO with knives, baby. Yeah, it's mad. Like, even, even going back to the orange box, TF2 was the one part of that product that just never clicked with me. Don't know. Fair. All right. All right, Jamie, I, moving on. Mm. Can I interest you in a comment of the week? You can interest me so much that I demand you read it now. Damn it. Okay, fine. This one coming from Richard Rosales. I rarely log into my YouTube channel, but I've been subscribed since Super Show's announcement before ATG went away to comment. Yay. <laughs> At my home state of South Dakota being mentioned, I'm biased, so I do wanted to take place here. I think he's talking about um, when we're discussing where GTA 6 could be taking place. Uh, And he goes on to say, and have a native protagonist, yet I know it will never happen in many franchises. It's a bit bit of a tough one. But first off, thank you for being subscribed since ATG days. You know, it means a lot, especially if you kind of stuck to it. And I know you don't log into your YouTube channel, but, uh, you know, hopefully you listen to us on the podcasting platform of your choice, Spotify, iTunes. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think like without saying like there's places throughout the world where it would be cool to see games take place. I think there's a lot of underutilized things within the States themselves. Oh yeah. 
like one one thing I kind of have to remind myself as a very naive European is that <laughs> I sometimes think of the UK, for example, as a country that to me feels big. And I think about how distinct, forget the individual nations that make up the UK and how weird and different we all are. Even just when I yeah. think about regions and counties within England, I'm like, God, we're all so different. They talk like that over there and they that over there and they love that over there. And I got to remember that like, you take the the average American state, you know, even like the least discussed state in America, I don't even know what that would be. And the UK probably fits into it 10 times. And I'm sure any one state will have just as much, if not more variety as I think we have. And so, yeah, do you know what? GTA is a tricky one because I think they get their kicks and a lot of their success out of taking sort of known elements and things that are part of a zeitgeist and satirizing those. And I think if yeah. they did pick up on slightly more niche or uh, lesser known elements of like a place like South Dakota, for example, that probably wouldn't sell on an, on a, 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 not sell in a literal sense, but sell in terms of like being communicated effectively to an international audience. But yeah. I definitely think it would be cool to see more games explore well, lesser known territories that have interesting places or stories or people to shine a light on. Yeah. Well, like what about Far Cry 5, right? Wasn't that... Was it Montana? Yeah, but but even Montana, like again, I think it was a fictional place within Montana. And playing yeah, yeah. it, it was the vibe I got was like, "Hey, this is the South," and like you could probably replace the word Montana with the word Texas in every part of the Far Cry Five script, and it would sell the same way to an international <laughs> audience. Where you like you're going round, and everyone's kind of like it's that some hill. There's some hillbilly archetypes over here, and you're eating bull testicles over there, and it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but that does kind of feel like the the heavy-handed Ubisoft approach. Yes, that, you know, yes, that, exactly. That's maybe another discussion. Uh, but what about the native protagonists? Now, it, it, this is an interesting one to me. I, like, if you think of, like, Native Americans mm. and gaming, I can only think of two. I can think of two characters, one protagonist. Okay, let's, let's hear it. The protagonist I can think of is Assassin's Creed 3. Oh, shit, yeah. Well... Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's te- technically Native American, right? Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's three then. If and if and okay. I think uh, Charles, who is a part of the ensemble cast of Red Dead Redemption Two, is Native American. Uh, right, and obviously, yeah. there are a number of other like Native American characters in the Red wider Red Redemption story. Two. Yeah, uh, sure. uh, I I don't I don't remember what they're called. I would guess, but it would probably be offensive because it's all like. They're dancers with wolves style names, for want of a better way of putting it. S- sitting bulls, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I can think of two more. You've okay. Got Turok. Okay. So, I, again, I, did, I didn't actually know he was Native American. That's cool. Yeah, Turok was Native American hunting dinosaurs, like fucking, fucking A. And the other one was the original story for Prey. Like the, the original oh titles, shit! Right? Yep, you're you're right because the, the Native American sort of like belief system was quite closely interwoven with some of the sort of more spiritual elements of that game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then even the the scrapped one was continued with, "Hey, it's a Native American protagonist in space, bounty hunting aliens." <laughs> yeah, sure, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, there we go, Richard Rosales. Thank you very much for your comment, and uh, you know, uh, keep watching us. Keep listening, please. Yeah. <sighs> you, you've got me researching now. I, I think if we were more uh, familiar with fighting game uh, rosters, then we'd have probably done better. Ooh, 
I'll tell you what, there was one in Killer Instinct, wasn't there? there was there a, was one uh, in Killer Instinct, yes. Uh, do, you want a, do you want a clue? Or do you just want, to, want the name? Tomahawk. No, it was Chief Thunder. Wow, that's incredibly racist. Yeah, I mean, it was the it was the nineties. <laughs> what can I say? And he did wield a pair of tomahawks, use spirit based projectile attacks, and could attract lightning by performing tribal dances. So yeah, like I said, the nineties. But yeah, like I'm looking through it now, and it's like Wolf Hawk Field in Virtual Fighter, Night Wolf in Mortal Kombat, uh, Thunderhawk in Street Fighter. Um, Julia Chang, one of the few females from Tekken. Oh, and then yeah, yeah there's Connor from Assassin's Creed like I said and Tommy yeah. from Prey like you said yeah man fucking oh, there we go yeah, probably more than we initially reckoned yeah um, and I think the important thing is they all got the representation they deserve because as we all know all Native Americans can perform dances that spawn lightning that, that's yes, just a fact yes. a, a, a lot of thunder and a lot of hawks yes some, some wolves as well there yes we no bears though <sighs> yeah true Maybe maybe that's our niche. Maybe we create a fighting game character, or we send like we send a letter to Ed Boone, being like, "Got an idea for an MK character. He's called <laughs> Hawk Bear. Um, he's armed with two tomahawks, and he can dance to generate lightning." Original wow. idea. I, I've got it even better. It's not Native American. It's just it, it's an animal fighter. All right, like you know, a Tekken has like the fucking kangaroo and the dinosaur. Yeah, and the panda. Right, it's like that. Right, like a bear. Right, body of a bear, legs of a hawk. Oh my god, that's a horrifying image. Just like I'm like presuming hawks have like those weird thin, oh, like scraggly. Yeah, legs, like yeah. oh, I don't like that at all. That's a disgusting <laughs> image. That's like you know that image where you lift up an owl and you see its full legs, and they're all scrawny yeah. and fucked up. Yeah, like, if, if no one's ever seen an image of an owl's legs, please Google it and be prepared for the nightmare fuel. Yeah, amazing. that's that's it's up there with. Well, also, have you seen? Have you seen what? Speaking of, God, this has gone on a tangent. Have you ever seen what a shaved bear looks like? I think I have, but I saw it in a rather distressing format. Like I think it was part of like an animal charity, being like, "Yeah, this is what a shaved bear looks like." Because poachers fucking took its fur to make clothes, and I was like, "Oh, that's sad." Yeah, can I tell you the, the truth? That is probably like, oh yeah, that that bear had mange, so the the vets shaved him. Yeah. To be fair, I went through a whole thing of watching like these ASMR videos where dogs who had uh, all their fur had got too long and matted and clumped up, and they would all get uh, shaved. And uh, I don't know why I found it satisfying, but I did. It was gross at so, times, but so so this is you admitting that you're into ASMR. No, see, no, I'm not into ASMR. I just think that sometimes, if you look at the Venn diagram, there's the ASMR bubble, and I think on, yeah. sometimes there's crossover with just the oh, this is interesting or otherwise like pleasant to watch the in a bubble I, yeah. I wasn't getting the asmr sensations i wasn't closing my eyes to the sound of a razor and a dog whimpering going oh yeah baby <laughs> that's that's the good shit <laughs> um i was just like oh they're shaving a dog Did it remind you of shaving your balls uh, do you know I, um, there's not quite so much matting there's a little bit but um yeah but i i do know what you mean though i did a uh edit recently um that was all about a, a YouTuber, in fact, who l- mows people's lawns in Australia called Tim the Lawnmower Man. Okay, I like it. And uh, if you go into his channel, it's like 
40 minutes of him mowing someone's lawn for free. That's like overgrown and whatever. And it, it is this kind of like, it's not really ASMR, but it's just kind of like, it's partly this oddly satisfying thing that people have where it's like, oh yeah, man, get rid of all that fucking totally. weeds and shit. Totally. But uh, uh, with the lawnmower specifically, it's very much that kind of like rhythmic, you know, like, oh, okay, interesting. And it's kind of hypnotic actually. Uh, but yeah, yeah no, I, I can see. I, I, here's the thing: after I've just talked about what I've talked about with the dog fur, I can't make you feel weird for anything. I had to accept <laughs> anything. You basically had carte blanche there to have whatever weird fetish you wanted. He chose lawn mowers. Wow. That's fine. I like the way you said carte blanche. Carte blanche. There's a, a new show in South Africa called Carte Blanche, and they always used to they they used to air on on Sundays, and they used to have like hard hitting topics. Yeah, yeah, like like like. Nelson Mandela is dead. And shit like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The kind of things South Africans talk about. Uh, Tell me. Well, I'll tell you who's not dead. Our lovely patrons. That's right. People who went over to patreon.com forward slash super show and help make the show a reality. Make it what it is. Make it the best trash piece of podcast that it can be with our trash opinions and our hot takes and our absolutely terrible segues. And I've got some names, Jamie, some people that are brave enough to put their names on screen saying, hey, we like these guys. Let's right? hear them. It's to be some kind of crazy, but yeah, let's hear them. We're talking about Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Cole K, yes, buddy, Helium Joker, Jesper Cam Doll Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Nathan Pierce, Neil, the food dude who doesn't deliver, Daniel, Pastors Guild, Starfall Kid, and, yo, Clancy, how about I deliver these nuts to your chin, you filthy geld? Thought I'd put a bit of spice on that one for you, Jamie. Yeah, no, I appreciated it. And then, Jamie, I'm talking about the big boys. The, the you know, the guys that, if the others, like, kind of said, yes, we're associated with these guys, these are the guys that said, hey, I, I'll take a bullet for these people. And... It's it's true. They, you know, all the people, the names I'm about to list, they will take a bullet for us because it, they've signed a contract and they're now legally obliged. So yeah. if you ever take a bullet, then we're allowed to give them a bullet back. That's just how it works. Sorry, fellas, but that's how it goes. I am, of course, talking about Brett Z, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Read, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad, and The Uncaged. Yes, yes. Thank you, one and all. And if you would like to support this show, help us keep doing what we're doing, maybe help try and entice Alex Jones to come back from the front. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. Then head on over to patreon.com forward slash super show and show your support. There's loads of shit there for you, including access to our Discord server, loads of behind the scenes, um, some old ATG pilots that that were never aired. What else have we got, Jamie? Uh, Patreon exclusive podcasts. No yeah. murderer. Some fucking spoiler costs which to be fair we haven't done in a very long time and uh maybe we're gonna have to try and rectify that who knows i'm gutted we never did i, I don't think that many people would have watched it but i really wanted us to do a matrix spoiler cast at the time and I that's not me trying to it. guilt you that's not me trying to no, guilt no, you it's it's the fucking tragedy you know what like f- film february was a bust because <laughs> my wife decided to go <laughs> fucking break her finger and shit like, i love but i love that as a household more like film <laughs> failure but <buddy. laughs> 
Oh God, yeah. No, I, I, you know, I don't want to rub any salt in the wounds, but it is very funny to me that you had like a, a family and a household movement called Film yeah, well, February, well, and it resulted failure, in like no films being watched after the failure of, of Family Film February. I, I, I'm taking the family out of it now, and you know what, okay. you know what we're in now? March Madness. No, no, it, kind of, but not really. It's it's a solo project. Masturbation March. There you go. You nailed it. Ah, oh, nice. It. Okay. Yeah. So you're just you're just whacking it basically twice a day at the moment. At, at least, at least. Like I've got nothing better to do. Come on. Well, you've, uh, you've got one thing better to do. do. Play Elden Ring. Or yes, you can play well, Elden Ring and Masturbate at the same time. I don't know. I'm just thinking that, but spitballing here. Why would I play Mass Effect when I could play Elden Ring? Hmm. Uh, I don't know where you're going with that comparison, and I don't have a good answer for you. I don't either, but guess what, Jamie? I've played Elden Ring. <laughs> good. I'm glad to I hear it. for a segue into our catch-up. I've played Elden Ring. Uh, <laughs> I played some after our podcast recording last week. Yes. Uh, woke up the next morning, bleary-eyed, did some work, and that, that evening on the Friday, I streamed some Elden Ring. And, man... Fucking, I love that game, Jamie. It is, it's everything I wanted it to be. But I think there's there's some things to talk about. I think okay. there's some things to talk about. Because okay. obviously, like, let me put it this way. Like, talking on our um, uh, our WhatsApp chat, our group chat with, like, the old ATG people. Like, Martin's into it. Uh, Steph's into it. And Steph had never played a Dark Souls game. Martin had played Bloodborne. He fucking loves Bloodborne. He's getting into kind of Souls-like, like I was as well with Sekiro. And um, it's just been interesting, less so from Martin's perspective, because I think he knew what he was getting himself into. But with Steph never having played it, played the kind of genre before, and getting into it and kind of seeing his kind of like take on things, it, it, it's made me kind of like, think about how I need to talk and cover Elden Ring on this podcast. Okay. Yeah, because very much, I mean, you've seen the messages that he was saying, unless you glossed over them, because it's like, I don't want to get... For the most part, yeah. I I think he kind of, he's come up against the essence of what a soul's like is quite hard. I don't know if he's given up on it. To be fair, I don't think he has. Um, At least he hasn't mentioned anything. And he did kind of try last we were speaking about it, persevered through it. Unfortunately, he was also playing on PC, so he did have to come across, you know, those frame stutters and the kind of like, the, the issues that the PC version yeah. was going through. Other versions had it as well, but mainly the PC, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I, it's something that I mentioned last week and I think it's worth reiterating. It's like, yes, it's, it's an immense open world, but it's still a Dark Souls game. It's still Souls-like or Soulsborn, however you want to kind of quantify it. Like, it is still based around the idea that you are going to die, you're going to die a lot, and death is a mechanic in the game. Mm-hmm. There's just no avoiding it. And it is a difficult game. Like, yes, there are a lot more options, and yes, magic is OP as fuck, but you're still getting fucking beat down. I will tell you, the release game is a lot harder than what the network test was. Interesting. I didn't know that. A lot harder. Yeah, yeah, a lot harder. Um but yeah, I think like depending on how you spec up your characters in this game will drastically alter how you kind of affect it. And also the open world nature of it and the non-handholdy nature of it also means that you're going to be stumbling into a lot of places that you shouldn't be going, you know? Yeah. 
the nature of it. And that's any open world, to be fair. Um, but yeah, you know, like it, it is immense. But when I asked when I asked Steph why did he pick it up, he was like, I was like, did you have an interest in it? He's like, well, it's it's a ten out of ten game. Like, it's, it's something that you kind of mentioned last week. Yeah, I've that, got to try a ten. I've got to try a ten out of ten game. Yeah, that 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 is something that that speaks to people. I think people like me and Steph, at least, were like, we have to have an opinion on this thing that is <laughs> so unanimously praised. Yeah. So, like, what has your been your experience and kind of like because you you joined for a bit of the stream, didn't you? Yeah, obviously, I, I've watched uh, I watched your stream. I watched plenty of other streams. I've kept up with sort of the the conversation around the game. I haven't watched much in the way of like YouTube videos or anything like that, so I haven't gone necessarily super in depth. But I've just tried to keep up with the conversation. And then, like you said, on a more sort of individual level. I've been curious to see what you've had to say, what Steph and Martin have had to say, speaking to a few other people here and there, like um, Sam from 101 Facts, he's playing it as well. Um, just like It's been interesting picking up where different people are at with the game, how much they're enjoying it, how much they're struggling with it, how much they feel inspired to persevere through some of the more difficult elements, and seeing yeah. to what extent that tracks, if at all, with their previous experience with games of this ilk. Um, just kind of piecing together those kind of bits of the puzzle so far. Um, while continuing to gauge uh, for a later date, not for any time soon, whether or not I would be interested in diving in myself. Uh, and I haven't really drawn a conclusion on that either. I find the whole thing very curious, I guess. Um, I think I think we've got to get you on it somehow. I just, I've, I've got a lot to, I've got a lot to play at the moment. Got a lot to play. Like yeah, I, how I'm, many of them, how many of them are 10 out of 10 games? Not that many, but then it's like I'm, I, I'm committed to finishing Horizon. I got I got bought Dying Light That's for my fair. birthday, yeah. and like I yeah. and it's one of those things where I could leave that and let Elden Ring jump it in the queue. But the person who got me Dying Light for my birthday will know if I'm playing Dying Light or not. <laughs> so I I want to honor that. Um, anyway, that's a, that's another story for another day. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think I will try it at some point, and I'm going to be disappointed when I do so that I wasn't a part of the zeitgeist, and I couldn't have those conversations every day where I was like, oh, I just discovered this. And like, I'm sure there'll be people in my life like you who will still you know, entertain those those you know, random thoughts and discoveries that I make. Uh, and- hey, if you take my Sekiro track record, Jamie, I'd probably still be playing it by the time you get into it. Do you know what? Fair enough. It, it, it's a very, very long game. Yeah, I, yeah by, by some accounts, like a hundred hours, people. But I mean, those are obviously like the enthusiasts who are not going to rush the, through the story. The only thing I'd say, and the only thought that I'd give, is like as as, as a step back and let you talk about your actual experiences mm. and thoughts on the game, is that I, I feel like the more I've seen and the more I've heard and the more discussions I've waded into, the less mysticism there is around this game, what it does well, how it's come to doing it so well, and why it all works where there was a feeling where there were those 10 out of 10 reviews and some people were using some really strong, you know, superlative adjectives to describe this game. And there was this thing of like, what have they done? How have they conjured up this, you know, this (laughs) otherworldly video game? And the more I've kind of thought about the parts that make up Elden Ring, Elden Ring, the more I'm like, it's not that, it's not that hard to wrap your head around uh, they've just done yeah, what they do yeah. well, and they've scaled it up uh, very well. Um, yeah, I, I do think that there's maybe a, a, a bit of a je ne sais quoi about sure, it, right? Sure, some, Something that, like, you you look at the sum of its parts, and you're like, yes, you, you know, like you said, like, you can 
you can dismantle what, what it's doing and you can understand it and you can say, I get it. But there is a, an element to it that is bigger than the sum of its parts and it's difficult to kind of put your finger on. Yeah, I um, think they've always had it. I think that's I think yeah, that's why there's always been I, such a big gulf between from yeah. software games and Souls-like games. Yeah, I think though, more so than they've ever had in terms of this one. And I think it, it does fall down on the open world side of things. Like, it, I, I don't think it's hyperbole when a lot of these reviewers and articles, etc., are talking about, like, how dense and unique and consistently yeah. interesting and surprising this open world is. Like, the, you, you know, like, you, you, got, you, you play open world games and they're, like, clearly identified biomes. Right? And there are clearly identified biomes here. Like, let's say you've got your grassy biome, you've got your snow biome, you've got your fucking hellscape biome, etc. Mm. But I think even within those biomes, there is enough fucking variety that y- you're constantly surprised by what's around the corner. Yes. You know, and, and it was. And how much of it there I'm, is. I'm in an area now that's like a lead up to a, a big castle, a, a castle mourn. It's not like a major, like they call them legacy dungeons, where it's like hey, this is the old-style Dark Souls fucking thing, but it's more like a, a middle ground kind of thing. Mm. But I haven't gotten to Castle Moon yet. I'm on the way there. I'm like in between the pathway, and I'm just exploring around, just kind of leveling up. And it's funny, like, there was an area where I'm walking around, and I'm like so interested in everything that's happening, but it dawned on me that actually in this area, other than rocks and trees and grass, there's not much around. Not much by way of enemies, not much by way of like little caverns sure. or whatever. And that's when it actually dawned on me that like they've put a lot of care and effort even into the dull areas of the open world game that engage you. Yes. If that makes sense. Like it's very easy to have that kind of thing and say, like, oh, it's just a fucking open field. Like well, if you think about like Rage 2. Yeah. Right. But also because d- dull areas give rise to that sort of, they allow you to be surprised again. Like they yeah. are, dull areas are part of the ebb and flow of an open world where you leave one breathtaking, un- unexpected scene and you you have a quiet patch and then all of a sudden you're being hit by something else around the corner, which again, when you combine that with the fact that they have taken that less is more philosophy that they applied to so much of their game design and put that into every inch of the open world yeah. and the way you engage with it, whether it's the map or the lack of sort of navigation options, it all feeds into that sense of discovery that I think is... <sighs> I don't know. I just think that between Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring, there is such a strong, unified core voice out there that, as we'll get onto in the news later on, is now being screamed at the rooftops by so many people. I just don't know if the what had become the traditional open world design of even games like Horizon, like I'm going to talk about in a bit, I don't know how much yeah. longer it can survive. Because I, don't, I, I think it's dead. I'll be honest with you. I think it's dead. Yeah. Because because what a games like Elder, even if you take it as, even if you be as reductive as you possibly can be and say something like, hey, stop telling people what's going to happen in your open world. <laughs> like it, it, excitement and, you know, you, the, that, that joy of discovery goes up tenfold, even just by not knowing what's around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like, yeah go sorry, ahead. I was going to say uh, one, one anecdote you reminded me of when like you were talking about that, just like you just don't know 
not about just like not knowing what you're going to discover, but also not knowing on what scale it exists. I heard a great anecdote this week. It was someone who was playing the game for review. I can't remember which outlet it was for. Um, And they were, let's say, 50 hours in, and they arrived at one of these castles or some kind of structure and had sort of like an elevator or a lift in it. And they went oh, that in. Goes, that goes down. And it goes down and down and down and yeah. down. And they arrive at a, you know, theoretically some kind of basement layer level. And they come out and you look up and the the sky is just stars. Yeah. It's yeah. A, I've, I've been there. I've, I've discovered that. And what's I, interesting is like, yeah, I've discovered that within what maybe six hours of playing at that time that I discovered it. Right. I think I'm closer to ten hours now. But you said that guy discovered it at fifty, well, and I think that's it, kind of like emblematic of he, how big. He, uh, the anecdote was that he was so deep into it that it was at that point and seeing and discovering that area that that's when he picked up his phone and texted someone else that was reviewing the game for a different publication. I was just like, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I'm not hitting embargo. Like, there's too much. I'm not. I can't hit embargo. And that yeah, was that. That yeah. that was that moment for him. Yeah, and I think I think every kind of like review when the review embargo lifted, I don't think I heard from anyone that had actually finished the game at that at that point. Yes, too big. But yeah, that that area in, in particular is like you take this lift, and it's almost like that Metal Gear Solid Two thing of of climbing up the ladder, right? Right. Yeah. Which just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And yeah, that is the lift that goes down into a, effectively a giant cavern. But the cavern is so fucking huge that it's got fucking stars in it. <laughs> and then that that's when you realize that hey, potentially. There's a surface layer to this game as a map and an overworld, and there's a lower layer. Yeah. I don't think it's as pronounced, but like, there's lower layers to the fucking open world, and I I don't know how many there are. Maybe there's none. Maybe it's just that one area, and it, you know it, it is contained. It's not like sprawling, from what I can tell. Um, I hightailed it out of there quite quickly because it's very underleveled. Um, but yeah, it's just like it, it's amazing. But I I think. The interesting thing is you said between this and, and Breath of the Wild, like where does open world go? Two things I want to say about that. Bre- Breath of the Wild is interesting because it's such a beautiful kind of open world and there's always something delightful to explore and find. Whereas I think in Elden Ring, which you've got to remember, is everything's out to kill you, like literally everything. Right? Yeah. So when you get to an area, like I had mentioned, where there's not much going on, you're still kind of like, super invested in it because you're like a bear's going to come out any moment now and fucking <laughs> wreck me a new arsehole and i got to be prepared for it but it sometimes doesn't happen but another open world that you also got to consider in terms of this formula if we say you know a trifecta mm. would be red dead <laughs> yeah right. i'm a big fan of that and I, I i think between those three i think there are three kind of divergent paths for the future of open world. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, fair enough, all, all props to Horizon Forbidden West and you can tell us more about it. But I think from this point on, if you are making a AAA open world game, like the, the formula's changed. And if you don't change with it, then you, you yeah. fucking, you, you've lost it. Like there, there was a point with Far Cry 3 where it was like, this is the pinnacle now. And this is what everything needs to be. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. And much like I said with Breath of the Wild, where it was a game that is going to inform game design going forward, I think maybe to a lesser, more a less radical degree than I think Breath of the Wild has and will, is it is going to, Elden Ring is going to inform games going yeah. forward. 
I, I, I just think that we're sort of we're on the precipice of realizing that actually that there are more rewarding and more engaging ways of giving back to players when they engage with this kind of content. And you mentioned Far Cry 3. I think what's fascinating about that is Far Cry 3 was that original idea of discover an open world, explore, head to a tower, which will tell you where the tower is, even though it's surrounded by fog on the map. Go there, climb the tower, the fog disappears. You get shown a bunch of open world sort of activities and distractions that are in the vicinity. You go off and do them. While you're doing them, like you're you're hunting and you're killing animals, and it's that kind of almost vampire survivors or cookie clickers style. uh, (laughs) It's the reward loop of like you kill the tiger to get the meat to upgrade the satchel to carry more ammo to go to the outpost to shoot more people. And like everything feeds into each other and everything's numbers going up. And it's amazing, like for as much as I've got good things to say about Horizon Forbidden West, still doing the same shit like i'm still and like yes the towers have been replaced by tool necks and each tool neck has its own sort of like challenge or unique sort of like all every tool neck is different in forbidden west and they've come up with different ways to make the challenge of getting to the top not as simple as just climbing it yeah and then like again like different things happen in the open but you are still going out and seeking certain kinds of things and you're killing that robot to get that a piece of equipment to build that bow to go there and kill and <laughs> it, it works, but I just think more and more people than ever before are have got that fatigue. Um, yeah, and I just I I think it just needs one of them to just fully jump. Like, do you remember a couple of years ago? And I think they have still included it since, but they're never quite as upfront about it. There was. Ghost Recon Breakpoint had like an option between like, do you want like a guided mode or do you want a uh, oh, like right, a, yeah. and and if you chose the less guided mode rather than giving you an objective marker it would be like this person was last seen to the south next to a light and it would give you kind of clues and like it felt like that was them experimenting with or flirting with that kind of design in a way that by Far Cry 6 there's no semblance of it left at all in terms of Ubisoft's <laughs> approach I just think one big AAA game needs to take that plunge where they're like do you know what yes there's a map but there are no markers on it you want to find out what's out there go walking the only is, problem is Elden Ring that. No, I think it. I think it is, but I, I, what I mean, what I mean by ignoring sales numbers, because obviously it's blowed them all out of the water. But I mean a like a traditional, like annualized AAA Ubisoft style or Sony first party style open world to a, adopt that approach. Um, but then the the only problem they're going to have is, and this is a problem that from software and Nintendo have no issue with at all, but you've then got to hold up your end of the bargain, which is if you say to the player, like, hey, we're not going to give you a map that will tell you where to go. We're not going to give you waypoints you can use. We're not going to tell you where things are. We need you to walk over the crest of that hill, have something catch your eye and go in that direction, have feel implored to do so. They need to hold up their end of the bargain by making sure there is something over the crest of that hill and it is something you want to walk towards. And the reward is so unexpected or the the scene that you arrive upon is so awe-inspiring that you want to continue doing that loop. Um, And if they can't live up to that end of the bargain, then they can't make those kinds of open worlds. So, you know, it's a push and pull. And I'm really curious to see how it goes. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. Like the the next, obviously there are games in development now that are still going to be using the old open world formula, and like you've just got to let them kind of come through. But so you you think to yourself, maybe you've got one to two more years of like more traditional open world. Yeah, it'll be interesting because that that's kind of what happened with Breath of the Wild, right? Breath of the Wild came out, 
kind of changed the game or let's say moved the goalposts, mm-hmm. but people are still playing their own matches of football on different fields. Right, and yes. those games need to kind of like culminate in a winner before you move exactly. on to the next pitch. Like, the next pitch. When, when Spider-Man 2 comes out, no one's going to say like, oh, they shouldn't tell us where the backpacks are. We just have to find them ourselves. Like, there's still <laughs> going to be games that are made for that style, oh, right? Yeah, and, and you know what? Like, Spider-Man 2 doing that, 100% should do something like that. But then again, I wouldn't say that... Like, you don't pick up Spider-Man as a title and say necessarily that, hey, you're buying it because it's a fucking vibrant, interesting open world, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily why you're buying that type of game. You're buying it because you want to be Spider-Man. You want to swing around buildings. Like that's that's about the the crux of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's interesting. But uh, okay, so why don't you talk about Horizon Forbidden West then? Where if we say like, hey, if Elden Ring is the one way, this is the other way. Yeah, because is this maybe the is Horizon Forbidden West the apex <laughs> of the apex legend? <laughs> Of the old way of doing open worlds with checklists and whatnot. damn. Um, do you know what? I'm going to say no, but it, but it's approaching that apex. Um, mm. What's weird is that I think there is a bit of an internal push and pull within uh, Horizon where clearly they were inspired by games like Breath of the Wild and they wanted to use that sense of awe and discovery and uh, they wanted people to run from A to B. And you know, discover things along the way that they weren't expecting. They want, and they 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 make fantastic use of like a broad range of biomes and just fantastic geometry and set pieces that you just don't expect. There are more dynamic events in the world. The issue is that like A to B, the the A to B that I mentioned, is still one marker on a map to another marker on a map. They yeah. and they haven't been able to shake that off. All they've been able to do, and this is why I can see why some people might make the argument that this is close to the apex is they've taken those open-world distractions and they've made them just about as varied as they can be. Uh, there's that idea that I talked about last week, that Horizon just looks like money. And, like, yeah, <laughs> one example of that is that toolnecks, the things that you climb to reveal the map, they're not just yeah. things that you climb anymore. Each toolneck almost feels like its own side mission with its own mystery to solve. And to give an example, I found one so far that, like, walks around a big... Uh, satellite dish and I had to like re get like get the power back on the satellite dish and like turn the satellite dish up on its side so I could climb up the side of it and jump on then I found another one that was injured um, and I had to use these ballistas that uh, a tribe had installed nearby to fire these big ropes that stuck into the side of the tool neck and dragged the tool neck down physically to the ground <laughs> oh, like a geez. fucking you know in Star Wars where they wrap around the the Atat or whatever they're called. That, yeah, yeah. It's like the Horizon version of that and and take over it while it was on the ground, like collapsed. So like... Jesus, that sounds horrific, dude. It, 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 they're robots, so it's not quite as inhumane as it sounds. Hey, hey they've got feelings, okay? Do, do you know what they kind of do? They kind of do. <laughs> um, but that's an example of like, that's what Horizon's trying to trade in. It's not that there aren't things that you activate to reveal the map and to get rid of fog. It's that... You have to trust them that when you get there, you're going to be doing something engaging enough or different enough that you're going to want to keep doing it. And in that sense, it's far more successful than Far Cry, which is the last open world first open world action adventure game that I played prior to this. Um, In which there was, hey, here's an area, kill all the dudes and literally, yeah, everything. Which again, when I established that my means of playing Far Cry was get a silenced. semi-automatic rifle and shoot people in the head I did the exact same thing over and over and over and over again and Horizon hasn't felt like that um, 
I'll also say that as I progress through Horizon, uh, the battles have got bigger and more cinematic faster. I think because of the continuity element, like it's the same Aloy. She's fought big fuckers in the previous game, so she doesn't want to fight Small Fry the whole time. So it doesn't take too long until you're like, that's a big fucking T-Rex looking thing, um, and I'm fighting it. (laughs) And I think that that game really thrives in those encounters. Um, It's almost got that Last of Us 2 sense of like frenetic, panicky energy to it sometimes where you are so small and they are so big and you're sprinting everywhere and rolling everywhere and avoiding everything and slowing down time and trying to pick off bits of, you know, you know cannons or shields or whatever it is. And it, it all works. It all works. Um, yeah. I, my, my feelings on Horizon have actually, I'd say, in, like warmed slightly since last week, but I still okay. think it's just a very good game. How, how far about are you? Um, I am uh, just past halfway in terms of uh, story, total story missions done. I've done... I think about like yeah, sixty percent of the total story missions. Uh, apparently, thirty something percent of the whole game. So, yeah, maybe lagging in some other areas. But yeah. I will say that, that story. I mean, I'd predicted much of it annoyingly, but that story <laughs> yeah. goes places. Okay, interesting. I, I'm gonna have to pick your brain on that. Maybe that's because Jonesy's playing that as well. I obviously balls deep into Elden Ring. Yes. So not going to be doing Horizon Forbidden West anytime soon, especially because I haven't done Zero Door. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, yeah, but maybe that's a maybe that's a spoiler cost for you and Jonesy to gonna. Oh, I mean, through. if he if he finishes it at the same time as me, then there's definitely plenty of meat on the bones there because some of it is like woof, like um, <laughs> like I don't know. All I say is that girlfriend. yeah, woof, buzz your girlfriend, woof. If there was any uncertainty when it came to Horizon uh, Zero Dawn, or perhaps more poignantly, the first like five to six hours of Horizon Forbidden West as to whether Guerrilla were more interested in the Game of Thrones-esque tribal wars that were taking place or right. more interested in the science fiction elements of, um, <laughs> of Horizon Story. Um, that debate is swiftly settled around like the twelve hour mark, where they they jump the shark in a way that I did not see. Like, yeah, it's fascinating. Oh man! Well, so j- just a quick one to kind of like swoop and swerve. Obviously, Horizon Forbidden West is sold pretty well, right? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard much about it, but probably because of the Elden Ring sort of <laughs> story. Yeah. Well, that's kind of that. Not too swing it back to Elden Ring to talk about the actual game itself, but just some news around it, which I yeah. kind of pick on. But Elden Ring has sold 2.5 times as many sales as Horizon Forbidden West, which is not necessarily surprising, considering that Forbidden West is a PS5 exclusive and Elden Ring is on pretty much every platform except for Switch, right? Um, sure, sure. But what is interesting is Elden Ring is the biggest, at least in the UK, biggest video game launch since Call of Duty Vanguard, which, you know, on the surface might not sound like that impressive, but you've got to remember COD and FIFA are like the dominant like releases, like far and away above anything else. So if we take COD and FIFA away from it, Elden Ring is the biggest release in the UK since Red Dead Redemption 2, mm. which is like, what, three and a half years? Yeah, no? it, was the, it was October 2018. So yeah, yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, its week one sales were bigger than Cyberpunk 2077 and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. 
both games, which obviously sold absolute fucking bonkers. And mm. it's, it's just kind of mad. And funny enough, like, okay, when the game launched, it was like 10 out of 10 here, 10 out of 10 there, 9 out of 10, blah, blah, blah. Had an insane Metacritic and Open Critic rating. Things, you know, you, you think to yourself, a week has passed, so the dust is starting to settle. People are starting to understand the game a bit more. It's Metacritic score is still 97 and Open Critic still 96. Yeah. It's fucking impressive, man. It's it's really something, and it it's goes beyond what I thought was possible for the title. Again, I think we... I think someone even called us out on it and sort of said, hey, you know, I don't think you kind of mean it the way you're saying it, but we kept using the word niche last week, um, which, yeah. again, with hindsight and especially with this new story, yeah, he, that that comes was right. Niche does seem the wrong word to use when it comes to From Software titles nowadays. Because uh, um, well, clearly I, they have mass appeal. There's no, there's no other way of, like... In a way, in a way, I think, but like we, we mentioned it last time, it's like, you know, we can't discount the George R. R. Martin aspect angle of it. We can't discount the um, the internet <sighs> build up and hype around it. We can't deny the marketing aspect. Oh yeah, but I think those are all still a part of it. And I think yeah, I yeah, think sure. also that whether it, no matter like what introduced someone to the idea of making Elden Ring a product they should purchase. Every single person who buys Elden Ring at some point reaches that precipice where they are made aware or come to be aware or perhaps already were aware of that, you know, that the whole conversation, which is like, hey, this is a Soulsborne style game. This is going to be extremely difficult. You're going to die a lot. These are meant to be some of the hardest <laughs> games that are, you know, uh, yeah. uh, you know get, get, get a wide release. And every single one of those millions of people said, yeah, I'm still down. Yeah. It's also kind of mad that... Um on Twitch, it was like the number one category on Twitch for a while, like when it launched. Yeah. And even so, that I saw a report saying that um, Elden Ring Twitch streamers have overtaken the likes of uh, XQC as like top watched yeah. streamers. And he was playing it at one point. Yeah, they're all you know, like, I think Dr. Disrespect really came up hard against it, but he's still playing it. I know. Yeah, I saw Asmongold, a clip of his yesterday. Yeah, Asmund Gold is kind of like, I think he's he's called time on it, gone back to Lost Ark. Fair, Fair enough. enough, yeah. Um, but but I think maybe that's what we probably mean by niche. Like, it's it's definitely hit that saturation. But as a gameplay kind of prospect, I think like like you you can have all of this like mainstream kind of like marketing and get all these Twitch streamers playing it and get people interested in it. And as soon as you get into that game, you're like, oh, okay. It's an open world Dark Souls game. Yes, it's still going to be that Dark Souls game. But I, I, I just, I, I still feel that niche was the wrong word with hindsight. Maybe, yeah. Like but I don't, I, I, was... I don't think you can sell this many copies and be niche. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, like, I'm, I'm watching it. Like, trying to. There's two aspects to me. Obviously, looking through and and consuming content around it as a fan, but yes. also just like as someone interested in the gaming gaming business industry. And it's just fascinating, like to just see all the metrics that are coming out on it, and and the kind of what the numbers are and everything. It just kind of fucking fascinates me, man. Yeah, it was genuinely. I, I just, I mean, I think we even made some loose predictions last week. We talked about how well it would sell, sell, and I think our predictions were lofty. Like we were doubling some of the expectations that around that we'd made based on the sales of uh, previous From Software games. But I mean, I did not think it would do quite as well as this. I mean, at least in the UK. We'll see what the bigger picture is, but I'm pretty sure it will match this um, 
in most other markets. Yeah. I kind of feel like people have been been eating rump steak and sirloin steak with gaming, and now they've finally gotten some, uh, you know, grade A Kobe beef. Like, yes. Was it I mean, five? There have there have been other there have been other very. This is not the first good video game, Chris. Please, you know, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. No, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Look, I, I, in, in closing, my thoughts on Elden Ring, and then we'll we'll kind of carry on some other stuff. Mm. Uh, this, look, Jamie, it's bound to happen. Okay, it's it's a fucking phenomenal game. Um, I would say it, it's a it's a very 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 exceptionally good game. It's not a ten out of ten. It's a nine out of ten. But it's not a ten out of ten. Interesting, uh, but is yeah, that but could, is that because it, there's actually legitimate criticisms that like draw it back, or is that because you have some philosophical issue with the idea of a ten out of ten? Like, because for you, ten means perfect. Whereas yeah, a the bit mo- of both. I, I I think I've always said that like I don't think there's any ten out of ten game. I, I hate this. Yeah, okay, fair. Enough. I'm not. Gonna yeah, exactly. But the, but yeah. if you had to if you had to give a scale and say, hey, a ten out of ten should be a viable option because that's what a scale is, then yes. fine. But yeah. I, I do think Elden Ring kind of comes up against some hard things. Like, it it is still that kind of, you know, even though it does have more of a story and it's got the George R. R. Martin kind of touch to the backstory and they're a little bit more forthcoming with what's actually happening. That it, It's almost like, almost like the Nintendo approach where they're not holding your hand, but maybe they're not holding your hand a bit too much. Okay, especially mm. if you think about a game like Breath of the Wild, where all of its elements are done really, really well, but there's not, it's not too much to it. You know, like the sure. amount of systems in the game, etc. Like, yes, it's got crafting, it's got you know some light survival elements to it, but it's all reasonably understood and explained as well. Whereas in this game, there's a lot of fucking systems, Jamie. There's a lot of stuff going on, and some of it is not communicated very well. Mm. with the tutorials or through NPC or dialogues. And I'm not talking about like, oh, there should be a quest log. There shouldn't be a quest log, 100% not. But I'm talking things like you, you, you want to summon you want to summon those those spirits, right? Yes, please. Okay. Well, if you want to do that, you need to first rest at three sites of grace in order to uh, get visited by the, I forget her name, Melania, Melania Trump. Yep. And she gives you the fucking goat horse. All right? Oh, Ivanka, yeah. Yeah, exactly, the Ivanka. And then you need to go to the church. Once you've done that, and I think you have, I think you could do it immediately or maybe not, then you have to go to the church of Ele, which is like some fucking random church on the side of the, close to where you start off. You have to go there at night. There's going to be a witch there, and the witch gives you a spirit summoning bell. And that's the only way that you can get that. But no NPC... We'll tell you this. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of stuff like that, I'll be honest. Like, yeah, but, call but me the, like, fucking... That, that is, but that's what I'm saying. I, I don't agree with it either. It's a, it's a bit of a flaw. I'm not saying it should overtly be like, oh, well done. You've got the fucking goat, goat dog. Now yeah. go here and do this and this will happen. But there must be some kind of... Unless it is there, no one's actually fucking found it because I can't see any sign that it is there. But there should be some emergent way to kind of inform you this is what you should be doing. Yes. Right? Yeah. Similar with the Ashes of War. The Ashes of War, which are the skills that you can put onto your weapons, which are kind of like magic, but tied to your weapon that you don't need to be a magic caster type. Mm. There's a specific item that you need in order to use those. And, you know, unless you look up a guide or something, 
how you're going to know. Yeah. I think that's also one of those things that's really hard to gauge in terms of like, the more obscure something is, the more it potentially lends itself to the power of discoverability and the, the euphoria that can come hand in hand with that power of discoverability. And one thing that I'm always conscious of, and I see it with, I've seen it with Elden Ring, I saw it before with Breath of the Wild, I've seen it with a bunch of other games over the years, going all the way back to Fez, for uh, Christ's yeah. sake, which is that when people are playing this games like this, especially when they're playing ahead of embargo, people who are, you know, let's say, reviewing it for a certain uh, outlet, yeah, uh, so many of them are in contact with one another. And so many times I've seen like on Twitter or mentioned on podcasts, people talking about how they would text this person when they found that or talk to, talk to this person about that and stuff like that. And they're sharing their discoveries and they're sharing their knowledge and they're sharing their information. And I think that's such a uniquely powerful thing. If you're part of like a group or like a discord channel or whatever it is, and you're like, and you're, and you're the person that like piece that together or you worked with someone else, yeah. what you, all that shit you just said, like maybe you that found out the bit about the, you know, you needing to visit the three thingies, but someone yeah. else found out about the fact that like, Hey, you do need to go to the church, but you need to go there at night and you work together to discover this thing and everyone gets that amazing feeling like you also need to do leave the door open that in a year's time someone else discovers that through the wiki because they're like yeah. well this doesn't make sense I have to look it up and for them they have a fundamentally different experience it's not as good it's not as natural it's not as an orga- organic and yeah. I, 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 look, I'm not saying that should be something that necessarily uh, should be accounted for in a review because it's a you know it's a fucking it's a subjective take like you, you're not yeah, going to yeah. say this is a nine because uh, in a year's time someone's going to discover this on the wiki and they're not going to have as much fun as I did that's not the point right but uh, yeah. it's still something that I think is like one of the tricky caveats to having information be that obscured yeah exactly and I think that's what I'm kind of getting at like e- even if you say in a year's time what about the person who doesn't want to look at the wiki what about the person even now who is a loner in his group in terms of his love of, of gaming or mm. souls like games or something and doesn't have that person to talk to and isn't willing. Cause I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you now, if you want to go online and see a guide on something, you're going to get like inadvertently, unless you're very careful, you're going to get spoilers on the game that maybe you don't want to do, or you're going yep. to start falling down the fucking guide rabbit hole. And it's like, Oh, well I can show you how to do this. And you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Show me how to do that. And I'll show you. And, that might be some for cool for some people, but some people might not want that. And yeah. I think it's just maybe striking a balance that maybe they are off the mark a bit. Yeah, and because it, it can be overwhelming as well. Oh, totally. But I, I, I'll, I'll close it off by saying this, Jamie. Yeah. I love my time playing the game. I want to play the game constantly. When I'm not playing the game, I'm thinking of the game. If I'm not thinking of the game, I'm watching content on the game. And that's just kind of one of those games. That's that's what it is. It's an all-consuming fucking title, mm. and that's why you should play it, Jamie. <laughs> I, I I will. And under any other circumstances, I would probably be playing it right now. But like I said, I've got I've got things on my plate. Spinning plates, yeah. I get you. Yeah, well, exactly. Is, was there any other games that you've been playing? Uh, I've played a few things here, and I think the only thing I want to touch base on, uh, because it's it's sort of hot and fresh out the kitchen, shout out to R. Kelly, you're a piece of shit. Uh, Babylon's Fall uh, is, I think, at the time Ooh. of uh, this that this podcast comes out, that video game might be out. Um, 
which the, the fact that I don't know whether that's the case or not says a lot about you know how much fanfare and discussion there is around Babylon's Fall, which, for anyone that uh, hasn't heard of it, this is a Square Enix-published Platinum Games-developed joint that, um, on paper at least, was planning to bring uh, Platinum's trademark uh, best-in-class uh, you know, stylish action to the wonderful world of games as a service. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> that's what intrigued me about it because I thought you know on yeah, paper I was like hey, a, okay a good platinum game is, is like yeah. up there I yeah. was like okay if this is like near Automata fucking Bayonetta Metal Gear Rising level platinum and they're like just making their, their destiny or they're making you know their whatever yeah then this could be my game this could be like the, the all I need to the end of time turns out um, they might have tried to make that they haven't uh, this it's, is bad this is really bad. Uh, oh, man. Uh, this I, is, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I felt bad for it, like, seeing, seeing stuff advertised for it, because I'm like, man, coming up between Elden Ring, Horizon, like, it's... You it's a bad month for it, yeah. Yeah, you don't release this kind of game now. Uh, but, yeah, that added to the fact that... Oh. From what you're saying, it's not very good. Oh, yeah, this would be a tough month to release a good video game in. Like, good video games are yeah. going to get forgotten. Hey, do you remember Sifu? Like good, I do, good, because good. I, I want to go back to it eventually. Well, they, hey, hey, there they you go. Game. You said it. You, oh, I want million to. Puppies, Jamie. I know, but what I'm saying, puppies. what I'm saying is like this is a time in, in, in the release calendar where good games will be forgotten about very quickly. Your time in the sun is going to be over before you know it. It's a hard enough time to release a good video game. I would imagine it's going to be near enough impossible time to release a bad one. Um, and I, and I think the most frustrating thing about Babylon's Fall is that, again, you, you look at the two components, or like uh, a platinum action game and yeah. the potentially engaging or rewarding feedback loop of a games-as-a-service-style uh, title. Oh, and a, it, a it, it Enix games-as-a-service, like well, Marvel's Avengers. All right, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, point made. Um, <laughs> but yeah, fundamentally, it fails on both fronts. I did not find the combat to be particularly engaging, neither in its sort of its feel nor its design. Like the the way you came, uh, like the way the encounters seemed to work, seemed to be like you would like basically be funneled through these. No, I'm not going to call them corridors per se, but you'd be funneled through these narrow areas into these big sort of like more circular areas where these invisible walls would be drawn up. Enemies would spawn out of nowhere. You'd fight them in a not particularly satisfied, satisfying way. It didn't have any of the heft or the weight that you wanted the melee combat yeah. to have. The encounter would end. You'd get gear that you couldn't equip because no one learned any lessons from Anthem, apparently. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then you'd move on. And then when you got through it all, you'd be met with, you know, the really fundamentally broken trappings of a like a mis horribly misunderstood and misjudged games as a service game when it comes to you know when it, as i said the, the gear and loot system whether the, whether it's the economy whether it's the matchmaking system whether it's the variety of content available um like nothing seems to be firing on all cylinders here like it, it's everything felt flawed and this, this isn't even talking about the, some of the stuff that can be the saving grace uh, for these style of games. Like, visually, I think it's really fucking ugly. They've got that sort of, like, <laughs> fake painted canvasy style thing, which at times, like, we're editors, and we know that about that idea of, like, you know, like you almost just putting an overlay over something. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, put a texture on top. and Exactly. It, it, lo it looks like a texture. And like, there are times where you can see, like, the static elements of, like, what is just, like... You know, 
a, just a, like a weird paintbrush texture they decided to put over everything and the I'm base to look up art stuff of this now because this sounds weird yeah it's like, got this weird uh, like smeary art style with basically a faint paint br- fake paintbrush texture on top of it I'll tell you that from from the stuff that I did see of the game and and the color palette etc it, it very much reminded me of like Xbox 360 era for some reason I like I don't know how to explain oh yeah like if you if I think if you took these the various sort of like textures and overlays and stuff like that away from it what you'd be left with is a fundamentally quite ugly game that will probably look befitting of the 360 PS3 era uh the story the story um I, I I could I barely even wanted to pay attention I didn't really know what anyone was saying or what anyone was talking about or why um the voice acting seemed laughable at times, and there was also this weird like disparity between these in-engine uh, cutscenes that would then give way to these like weirdly statically animated, hand-drawn scenes. Like nothing about it about it felt good uh, to me. <laughs> Jesus, nothing about it felt good. I did not oh, enjoy man. my time with Babylon's Fall, and that is a full price product that I would urge anyone listening to take an extreme amount of hesitation with well, wow. should you be considering a purchase. Um, God, so that's like, okay, so Marvel's Avengers, by all accounts, failed, right? Sure, I'd agree and with that. Even though it does seem much to my dismay and, and bewilderment that they're continuing on with it for this year. Just shut it down, fellas. Yeah. Um, off the back of what they've described as a disappointing Guardians of the Galaxy release. Right. Obviously, Final Fantasy always does well for Square Enix. That'll continue. That doesn't seem like an issue. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy 16, by all accounts, could be baller. And Final Fantasy 14, it's, it's just going from strength to strength. Fine, fair. But it must be putting pressure on square enix to just kind of say like hey maybe we are just the fucking final fantasy <laughs> company i'm sure there are some people within square enix who already see it that way and see games like marvel's avengers and guardians of the galaxy as like just the weird forgotten children that the the, the west handles and <laughs> I, I, in that case i don't know how they account for babylon's fall um but right yeah yeah uh, Man, it's it's, such it's a, a weird the thing. whole thing's a mess. They're, they're they're a really fucking dumb company, though. Um, in, <laughs> in in a lot of ways, I and mean, I mean that like in in the kindest of fashions. But yeah, of course. I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out like what they've got to look forward to. Obviously, Final Fantasy 14 will keep making money. That's one thing they have yeah. got lucky with. Final well, Fantasy got- 16 will come out eventually. Yeah, that'll do well, regardless of. I heard it's good I heard rumors the other day that Forspoken could be delayed. But if not, that'll be out in May. And then, do you remember, like, Stranger of Paradise? Gonna, I don't think that's going to hit, you know? I I, 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 I mean, if even if it sticks to schedule, that game is out in just over two months, and I don't know anyone who's mad about Forspoken. Except you for know? Jonesy. Except for Jonesy. And then, do you remember, like, Stranger of Paradise, which apparently has improved, uh, and it got, like, a second demo, I think, that people liked more. But when that first trailer dropped, people were like, what the fuck is this? Like, what the... Like the, yeah. what, what, I can't remember what the line was or the name of the bad guy. Chaos, I'm gonna kill chaos, and they kept saying the same shit over and over again. It was like the, it was bizarre and, and slightly embarrassing. Um, yeah, it is. It is much like fucking. God, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's Square Enix. Fucking, it might be. Yeah, I think it is. Fucking triangle strategy. Which yes. by all metrics, it's it's 
come out to relatively okay reviews for what it is. I think on Metacritic's like 87 or something like that. Sure. But yeah, it's, it's kind of like, oh man. They didn't even change the name. It was, they, it was called Project Triangle Strategy. And like it was like a, not like it was like, like a metaphor almost. And then it was like, what yeah. should we call it? Just take the project out. Triangle strategy. But they did that with um, Octopath Traveler, right? Because it was Project Octopath Traveler, and they're like, yeah. So the next time they call it Project, which is like, yeah, well, that's his fucking name. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Like, and the, the fucked up thing is that when when it comes to uh, Triangle Strategy and Babylon's Fall. Square Enix probably will make some do like do, find some way to defend their, their you know their, their eastern counterparts and the, those titles and those releases, and will find more ways to make the western arm of all their uh, um, their work to you know look out of whack or out of sync. Well, uh, they, they definitely need to think of something, and in one case, they have thought of something, Jamie, because they've put Guardians of the Galaxy. On Games Pass, or at least they're going to. In yes, a days, a handful of days. Um, this is an interesting one. Okay, obviously, by all means, people that have played Guardians of the Galaxy have come to enjoy it, liked it. You enjoyed it. Jonesy enjoyed it. It's a good game. What it was, yeah, it's a good game. And it, it's a game that definitely I was interested in, but I wouldn't potentially have gotten. I was maybe a fence sitter on it, right? But it's coming to Games Pass. Like now there's, it's like free reign. It's like, I don't have to work, think about it. Mm. But it also makes me kind of wonder that like, does game, is Games Pass creating this, creating this thing of like, if you're on the fence, the, the, the fence doesn't exist anymore. Cause it's like, oh, if I'm on the fence or something, I'll just wait and it'll come to Games Pass probably. Do you know what? I, I don't, I don't think Game Pass on its own is quite eliminating the need for the fence, Right. Because yeah. I think banking on any major release coming to Game Pass eventually based on nothing is still a bit too much of a risk. But I think we probably are moving towards some kind of a future where with the various services we're talking about, uh, especially if PlayStation and the whole sort of Spartacus rumors end up representing a more pronounced and stronger lineup on their front, it probably won't be a Game Pass rival, but they'll do something, you'd imagine. Yeah. Um, I could see a situation in the future where much like with movies where there's there's that kind of feeling of like I'll have a way to play this eventually one way or another I don't have to pay $60 or $70 for this upfront right now I know yeah. I'll find a way to play it eventually by hook or yeah. by crook um, I think I'd see that becoming a sentiment in the future yeah there, there is another kind of element to this right if Square Enix themselves have kind of said yeah you know God into the Galaxy didn't hit the way we thought it was going to hit you know yeah then is it a case of, like, I'd, I'd love to know what the details of this deal was. Is it a case of them then saying, well, we could just sell it to Microsoft as a Games Pass title and yeah. recoup some money that way? So could it be that, like, potentially good games that have been overlooked and kind of underperformed then go to Games Pass to recoup what whatever the publisher needs but then also exposes it to a bigger, wider audience? hundred percent. I think that at a certain point, like a deal like this just becomes win-win because it's exactly what you said. I think there are, if there are any initial fees involved, they help, you know, um, sort of 
reduce some of the damage potentially done by the gap or the gulf between your expectations and your targets for a title and the reality in terms of what it's sold. And I think also, yeah, you're introducing it to a wider audience, especially Guardians of the Galaxy isn't an example of this, but there are many other examples of games where they have additional content to sell and they will continue doing that through Game Pass. Games that have, I don't know, a season pass or DLC or microtransactions. Again, you welcome more players into your ecosystem and that's more money generated that way. And then if you do have... Uh, eyes to create something uh, that more akin to a franchise and you think something has legs but you need to get more people involved you need to get more bodies through the door and more eyes on the title that it helps in that way too I don't know if Square are interested in making another Guardians of the Galaxy game I think if they were they wouldn't have preceded the announcement of it arriving at Game Pass with the announcement that it hit failed to expectations I mean, <laughs> that seems like a weirdly like negative and backwards way to go about promoting a game that you want to make a sequel to but I think one thing that might be in the back of Square's mind and maybe in the back of Microsoft's mind is that they are both uh, companies in the past that have created working relationships out of situations like this. And I was yeah. you know, listening to uh, Jeff Grubb of VentureBeat fame uh, speculate on some of this stuff in the past. And he said, it's not out of the realm of possibility for as much as Xbox recently have been interested in acquiring studios and building out their first-party portfolio if if something like Guardians of the Galaxy arrives on Game Pass and is successful on Game Pass, Microsoft going out and either working with and partnering with Square Enix on like a sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy or even entirely funding a sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy themselves. You know, you've already got Crystal Dynamics who are obviously very tied to Square Enix through the development of the recent Tomb Raider games and Marvel's Avengers, who are now working with Microsoft on Perfect Dark. They're co-developing yeah, uh, co yeah. that. So there are elements there where it's like, like 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 what Nintendo did with the Bayonetta two, where they were like, "Hey, what if you we helped you make this, and it just came out on our thing?" And like, yeah, and it's just an exclusive, yeah. Yeah, and like maybe they could be testing out the waters for that, for all we know, and that would make Jonesy very upset. <laughs> Why would it make him upset? Oh, because uh, well, he maybe he play. Well, I was going to say maybe he play it on PC, but I was going to say again in an in an era before PC and Game Pass for PC, the idea of like. Got a Guardians of the Galaxy two happening and only be, and being exclusive. It was like it would be like the Tomb Raider situation, right? When Tomb Rise Raider, of the Tomb yeah, yeah. Rise of the Tomb Raider was an Xbox One exclusive at the time, and I'm sure there were plenty of people that were like, "Fuck, I can't play a critically acclaimed sequel to a game I really liked for a whole year." And that was a good game. That was a good. Game. It was a good game. It didn't do them any good. They paid too much for that exclusivity, but it was a good game. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But by, by all accounts, Jamie, do you know what else is a good game? I've heard. Tell I've me. heard rumor, Pokemon. Okay, you may have heard of it. <laughs> and also, you may have heard right. You may have heard wrong. Depends which Pokemon they were talking about. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, obviously, hot off the heels of the wild success that was Pokemon Arceus. Uh, guess what? Game Freak have announced another fucking Pokemon. Mm. We're a bit late on this, but it was obviously news that happened on the weekend. Um, so after our last recording of the podcast, but yeah, there's going to be a new main, I don't even know what the fucking wording is, main gen title? Is it Gen 9 that's coming out? It is Generation 9. I don't know what they call it. Do they call it Mainline? I don't know. Main, uh, fucking, I'm sure some people want to fucking Mainline this Pokemon thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there was a Pokemon Direct on the weekend, uh, Pokemon Day, some shit like that. Who the fuck knows? But they announced Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Which is a, it's a name. Yeah, I think there's a two hot and sexy colours. 
I also I, pr- I prefer the return to colours after things like Sword and Shield, which yeah, it's a bit too rustic for my liking. Yeah, it, it does kind of feel like by naming them the colour conventions that is kind of going back to its its more roots, as it were. I don't know. Yeah, no, I get Maybe. what you mean. Yeah, uh, but yeah, what's interesting is the the obviously each kind of game has its own bit of setting. Uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield was in the Galar region, which was influenced by the UK. Clearly, it had fucking cheap and people <laughs> tea and shit. Uh, Big chimneys and lots of smoke coming out of them. Yeah, and, and little kids going, "All right, governor." No, yeah, not really, exactly. Uh, but yeah, in this one, it's a terracotta villas, sunny climates. Uh, you know, people are speculating it's Spanish influenced. I think it's safe to say Mediterranean influenced. If you don't want to go that kind of down the line, but I think Spanish. There, there's some like for like comparisons between the game and, and like Spanish landmarks that seem seem close enough to kind of warrant yeah. it. And then obviously we got the 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 wording on the three new starter Pokemon, which you know, for some reason, everybody fucking goes absolutely fucking mental for one of them and just stands the shit out of them. Uh, and this time we've got a Sprigatito, Fuecoco, and Quaxley. And I believe everyone's kind of going crazy for Quaxley. They're wrong. I don't play Pokemon, so I don't give a shit, but I'm throwing my weight behind Fuecoco. Yes. Fuecoco. Because it's like Fuego, and he's like a little fucking fire. He's hot and spicy. Looks like he's got a skull on his face. Plus, cool. Fue Coco starts with an F, which means you could say Funky Fue Coco fan art. Which, and hey, people are already doing like crazy fan art for these three fuckers, so right, I guess I'm we shouldn't sure, be surprised. I'm sure they are. Hey, get get a picture of all three of them fucking. I mean, assuming that doesn't sort of like break any laws anywhere. Like, I don't know if that kind of comes into the bestiality side of... Because, well, they're, they're monsters, not animals, actually, and you're allowed to fuck yeah. monsters. Yeah, it's the, Plus, yeah. obviously based on a duck, right? That clues in the name, and ducks have uh, corkscrew-shaped penises. So there you go. There you go. I, I can already see the deviant art posts hitting the web as we speak because now that you, you just inspired a wave of future, like a generation of artists, Chris, inspired okay. by your corkscrew-based inspiration. If we're not here to inspire the the generations, the youth, Jamie, then what are we here for? To talk about video games, mostly. Um, Sometimes. Well, yeah. We, we, we've done a lot of video game talking on this one, to be fair. Yeah, I think we've been pretty decent. And do you know what? I am intrigued by this because I, I, I've got to put my hands up. And I think I've already admitted this in a roundabout way before, but I was a Pokemon Legends Arceus naysayer. I thought that yeah. game looked ugly. I thought that the gameplay fundamentals and the choices that they were making around what that game would be built and structured around looked boring. Um, and although I haven't played it, I have to concede that obviously it was well-received, it reviewed well, fans seemed to like it, and just sort of like the appeal and the excitement and the awe around a big open-world, fully explorable 3D environment populated by Pokemon was clearly enough that people were willing to overlook how boring the idea of populating the world's first Pokedex actually is on paper. Um that said, this is far more my speed. Um, yeah. In terms of it's taking some of those Pokemon Legends Arceus elements, but applying them to hopefully a more traditional Pokemon formula. And for as much as that formula is, I mean, it goes beyond tried and tested at this point. It's as, as old as time itself and is a little <laughs> bit fucking. It, it's old fashioned. Like, you know, the eight gyms and then the champion. Like, we've all been there yeah. and we've all done it a million times. But still, like. 
That with the legend style open world would be very cool. And this seems to be a little bit more built up in terms of there are more urban areas, there are more, you know, structures, there's a bit more, you know, there are areas where there are NPCs wandering around and that feel a little bit more populated and alive uh, than than legends ever did. So I'm intrigued. The only the only caveat, the only asterisk to all of that is that it's too soon, right? Like Legends Arceus just came out last month. This is coming out at the end of this year. So this is not a game that's going to be learning any lessons from Legends Arceus. And you can e- even see yeah, that, I think, yeah. in the visuals and the art style. There's that one shot where you have the... They're not wind, but the wind turbines, right? Yeah. And they're staggered. One's close and then further away, further yeah, yeah. away. And you can see the frame rate decreasing on each <laughs> further... Because that's the that's one of the things they did to make sure this game fucking ran on a switch but yeah i think well, that sucks it's probably but using yeah. the same engine right like oh yeah, I, I think technically it's going to be almost identical just with yeah. a different sort of philosophy behind it yeah. but that's still cool i i think it's i mean it is very cool it's very bizarre to me although it does make sense but it's kind of bizarre to me that they're releasing both of these pokemon titles this year because the scarlet and violet's coming out at the end of this year understand why they're doing it because hey this is a pokemon game that's coming out near the end of the year christmas time baby it's big bucks but it is kind of i want to say strange maybe just a bit unusual in in terms of their spacing and their timing like they they could have pushed this to next year and i don't think people would be all that kind of fussed agreed agreed um although, although if you can get one out this year and that also means you have time to get one out next year that means you can make twice as much money. So, uh, yeah, let me put it to you that way, and that uh, that probably changes the conversation. God, yeah. <laughs> but no, okay. I'm willing. I'm 100 willing to give this a shot. I'm I'm optimistic. Yeah, man. So, sometimes, like I, I look at shit like this, and um, with my work as well, we've been covering it quite a lot. You know, like my, my actual day job. Yeah, and yeah, it. it in, in a way, it kind of makes me a little bit sad that I never got into the whole Pokemon thing. You know? like, like yeah, sure. It, it's, it's definitely like that. that is a massive part of gaming that is just kind of inaccessible to me. It's it's weird because you're right, and so much of it is is tied to nostalgia and is yeah. it, it almost relies upon someone being introduced to Pokemon at a very young age regardless of how old they are. And yeah, yeah, if you if you missed out on that, then that's that's a it's difficult to get back in because it's so simple, and you yeah you, yeah, you need to have this almost weird sort of ethereal kind of like love for those concepts and those ideas and those po- yeah. those creatures themselves, right? Yeah, like you the, need the to only, get a kick out of that. The only kind of thing that I have nostalgia for in terms of Pokemon was watching the Pokemon anime when I was probably too old to be enjoying Pokemon anime. Yeah, see, that's the yeah, thing. I yeah, never you know, that, even... that awkward age where you're like, you're the wrong age for this. You like, see, you could be older and be like, oh, you know, like that's because you're a fan of it or whatever. Or you could be younger, and then when you're young, you just fucking consume anything. But I think I was like 14 at the time that I was like really into the Pokemon anime, yeah. which was a bit of an awkward age to I be mean, into it without having played the games. The thing you're overlooking is that every age is the wrong age to be into anime. So, um, <laughs> I think that's where you went wrong. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Apart from Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> well, the, and, uh, and, that gets a buy. And Dragon Ball Z and Naruto, One Punch Man, and One Punch Man. That is that. Those are the three I'm going to say. I don't give a fuck about the rest. Like B 
Bleach fucking fell off a fucking thing. I never got into One Piece. I don't care. Like, I tried Fairy Tale. That was fucking bullshit. And then you've got all the fucking weeb shit. Like, and what about Hunter X Hunter? No, not Hunter X Hunter, and not Demon Slayer either. Because I haven't watched any of it. I'm probably probably would get into it, but I'm not into it. I just I, I just googled the word yeah, anime. Not for me. I tell you what, Neon Genesis. That's that's a big boy. Uh, oh, Akira, you mean the Neon Genesis Evangelion or something? I don't know. I just heard. Yes, that's the thing I've heard people say. That's the one. That one. That's the name. What about Comey can't communicate or words bubble up like soda pop? Um, I, I just googled the word anime and I'm reading what I reading what I see. I, Jesus, I, I would I would highly recommend that you stop doing that because eventually you're gonna come to like some. Oh no, I, f- I found stuff I've heard of. I've heard of um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I've heard yeah, of sure. Berserk. Poke, poke, Pokemon? 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 I'm not sure about that oh, one. That sounds a bit weird. That, that is one thing I was going to say. You, you know what the big problem with uh, releasing all these new Pokemon games is, Jamie? What is it? What's on the horizon? Forbidden West. Most Do-K-V. of Dokev. Dokev? Shit, I've forgotten all about Dokev. Yeah. When's that? Is that? But Dokev Dokev is either not going to come out or it's going to come out and look nothing like Dokev. Yeah, of course. Dokev is 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 fucking vaporware. Dokev always reminds me of the the kind of like the games that people are like, this is the Pokemon killer. But then you realize that like (laughs) there is no Pokemon killer. Pokemon's Pokemon. It's like, oh, this is the Minecraft killer. No, it's not. This is the COD killer. No, it's not. This is the FIFA killer. No, it's not. Yeah, exactly. There's no such thing. Yeah, fucking hell. None of those things ever die. As soon as you try and create the killer, you've essentially ascended it to immortality just through trying to take its place. Yeah, exactly, 100%. Because for as many people saying, like, this is going to kill it, you've got millions more people saying, like, no, it's not. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Alex Jones effect. You just want to be a bit of a contrarian. Yeah, which is why, like, I, if anyone wants to create a podcast that they think is the Super Show Killer, I welcome it because that just means that we've made it. <laughs> yeah, induct us into the Hall of Fame, Dave Grohl. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. actually, yeah, I agree. Do it right I, next I to Run party. DMC. Yeah, I, I could party down with uh, Dave Grohl and Run DMC. I'm down for that. That sounds like a podcast. <laughs> that sounds like a party, baby. Uh, Jamie, but yeah, I think that pretty much ties us over for this week. You know? Yeah. As we wait for the glorious return of uh, our, our comrade, Alex Jones. Yes, we wish him all the best. And Maybe hope to poor see him choice soon. of words and saying comrade, but there you go. Yeah, well, you know what? It's one of those, it's, it's a strange time. And, you know, words like that come in and out of <laughs> acceptable vocabulary. Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think about it, Jamie, and I'm just thinking to myself, when are the bombs going to drop? I mean, honestly, I'd I'd be like, you know, we have like supper, put put my son to sleep, blah, blah, blah. Maybe I I start doing the dishes in the kitchen and I look out the window and I'm just thinking to myself, when's that mushroom cloud going to pop in the horizon? Let's not tempt fate is (laughs) what I'm saying. Can I tell you you one thing? The, 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 The saving grace on it all, I think, is that you? You live in the UK and not Ukraine. Yes, of course. You know solidarity with our Ukrainian brothers. Like no yes. joke. That's we are solidarity with them. But is that if the UK is a target in which it probably would be if there is a world war, as we know, because it usually is, um, because of the tight knit aspect of London, 
if we are the target of a nuclear missile, an ICBM, uh, we probably wouldn't know about it because we'd be dead like within an instant. So I mean, that yeah. to look forward to, you know. I guess it would de- it would depend on the the size and the the power, uh, the relative power of the nuclear weapon that they used. I, I think these days. Oh, in- don't, don't get me wrong. Like the things they have nowadays put the things from World War Two to shame. Like yeah, they can absolutely obliterate London. Russia could absolutely obliterate London if they wanted to. But yeah, that's what we we, we got to stay close as close as possible to the center. We want to be in that first circle. We want to yeah. basically we want to be scorched with the heat of the sun and just evaporate into thin air. I don't yeah. want to slowly. I've seen Chernobyl. Don't want to slowly die of radiation poisoning. Oh god, with the guy's skin started falling. Yeah, like I'm, I'm I'm over it. Like I'm I don't out. want that. I'm out. Yeah, yeah, just vaporize me. Like there's there's that famous image of like uh what was it Hiroshima where the guys who were closest to the thing, their bodies weren't found, but just like there was ash shadows on the wall of their body, like Oh uh, my god, that's horrifying. Yeah, yeah fucking mad. Okay, that, hey, if it's gonna happen, let that let that be me. <laughs> let's let's let let's let's keep our fingers crossed that it does not come to that and that no one decides to um, to like mutual assured destruction does no one any good. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Let's try and get, try and stay as far away from that uh, possibility as possible. Jamie, and like you said, solidarity with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. And uh, fuck Russia, fuck Putin. Wow, there we go. What you... fuck the Russian people? No, uh, no, 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 no. Because, yeah, because sure. they got nothing. Actually, if you want to fuck Russians, then you know, in a sexual way, then please do. Because I've seen some videos, Jamie. And uh, it would seem that, you know, women of the Russian persuasion are they're quite nice. Yeah, I've seen a few videos as well, yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can go. Con- I can go. Yeah. Oh, buddy, with that, <laughs> ending on that pretty somber note about us being evaporated by uh, Russian missiles, uh, we've got to have a, a code word that's hopefully a little bit more uplifting. Yeah, let, 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 let's, let's veer away from... Um, uh, a nuclear holocaust when when, <laughs> when it comes to our choice of uh, code words oh yes I don't know uh hmm did we say anything funny clearly not uh what, what did we say funky fresh for a cocoa oh funky fresh for oh, a funky, cocoa fan art funky fresh for a cocoa fan art you can do it it's the four F's wow F okay yourself. That's Go a F tough one. Go F yourself for a cocoa. Fun, fun, funky fresh for a cocoa fat fan. That one. And with that, Jamie, uh, I'm going to say thank you for joining me. We don't, Once again. We don't talk about for a cocoa. <laughs> nice. I like it. There you um, go. That one's yeah. for you, Chris. Thank you. I, I do appreciate that one. Uh, and of course, thank you if you are watching us on YouTube or listening to us on a podcasting platform of your choice. We really do appreciate it. And uh, hey, give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a five-star rating, give us a comment, give us a ball tickle, give us a all your money. This is a stick-up. And we'll see you next week. See Goodbye. ya. Bye.